This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Welcome to the Big Ed Idea Podcast, a podcast for those looking to change the world through education. Each week, we bring you a new idea, however big or bold it is, that has the potential to disrupt, upheave, or remix education. Now here's your host, our dad, Ryan Scott. We are back. Big Ed Idea listeners, we are back for episode 2.4, and uh, this evening, this morning, whenever you are listening to this episode, you are in for a treat, because we've got a little Southern flair in the house this evening. (laughs) (laughs) We've got got a guy that I connect with in the wonderful world of Twitter, uh, in the Twitterverse, And this young man hails from Louisiana. His name is Rod Nocken. He is a twin girl dad, which I know what that's like. Uh, (laughs) He is an educator. He is a bibliophile. He is a, well, let me say this. He is a fellow bibliophile. He is an (laughs) instructional coach and the professional learning consultant based in Bayou Gosh, Louisiana. And to top all of that off, he is a doctoral student with Southeastern Louisiana University, and he is really looking into teacher collaborative discourse. And so without further ado, my friend Rod, welcome to the Big Ed Idea Podcast. What's up, Ryan? I'm really excited to, to chat with you tonight and kind of talk about some big ideas in Ed and girl dadding, I suppose. <laughs> That's exactly right. And I think we could talk about hairstyles um, or lack of <laughs> hairstyles. Um, I know, you know, I don't share the video, but if anybody's out there, um, we are lacking in the hair up top department. But, um, Indeed. you know, that may have to do with being a girl dad. <laughs> Um, just saying, just saying, I was, I was thinking something similar to that. Yeah. Right. Um, so, okay, Rod, uh, let's get into this whole thing. Um, so, okay. So you are in Bayou Gosh. I'm like, I don't know Louisiana. I've been to new Orleans and other than that, I don't really know. So where are you in Louisiana? So Bayou Gosh is a little bit outside of New Orleans. So if you were going, I suppose, southwest from New Orleans, maybe about 20, 30 minute drive, it's kind of the air, the New Orleans airport is between Bayou Gosh and New Orleans, if oh. that makes any kind of sense. So okay. I'm kind of in the, the, the fringe of the greater New Orleans area. So are you pretty close to the Gulf, I would say? Well, um, it, it, we're, we're in the marsh and the swamp. So uh, where the Gulf begins and ends and where the land ends and begins is kind of a, a call, <laughs> all on top of each other, if that makes sense. So, yeah, we're, we're getting pretty close to the Gulf. Yes. So you had mentioned also when we were emailing back and forth that that maybe your house had sustained some damage with the yeah. last hurricane. Talk about that real quick. So uh, uh, so there was Hurricane Ida that came through our area and um, and kind of went straight over by gosh, if you follow the track. So uh, Hurricane Ida really kind of did a number on us down here in August and September of 2021. Uh, and we're actually about to get back into our house, but there's a lot of devastation. Uh, I serve two different high schools and one of our uh, high schools uh, is just now getting right at the end of August, beginning of September, right on top of us. So oh gosh. Yeah, it's, been, it's been pretty rough. So um, all right, I, I work primarily with two different high schools and we were just getting uh, kids back into one of those schools. We were platooning. For about four or five months so it's been pretty uh, a long road down here it's pretty devastating uh kind of a once in a generation storm um but you know we do what we do uh and, and we're doing the best we can in our schools down here uh but that's been part of our reality and i know it, i connected with y'all in kentucky because they had some recent weather events over there that i was thinking about folks up there because i know how uh how you can kind of feel like the entire world moves on and you know you're still kind of in these situations yeah. so that's kind yeah. of been what it's like for us down here yeah, we uh, our high school actually um, this weekend played uh, a high school, Dawson Springs High School. And if anybody follows the um, news, Dawson Springs was a little community in Kentucky that just got obliterated. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I think it only has like 1500 people in it anyway. Pretty much 90 percent of that town got wiped off the face of the earth. 
And so um, our high school basketball team played them this weekend and they did, they don't have away jerseys because they were somewhere and got blown away during the um, tornado. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we totally understand. We totally get it. So uh, man, I empathize with you down there. So I appreciate, you know, what you're doing for the students. Um, I think you would, you would probably testify to this, that um, school is a safe haven for a lot of our kids. Um, just that structure and routine that it provides. And so um, being able to get back to it is just huge for, for our kids and, and selfishly for us as well. Yeah. And, and the, some of the teachers who are getting back into their classrooms for the first time in five months last week, um, it was really kind of a, a, a moment where it comes to, to full circle where you kind of realize, recognize it. I mean, a building's a building, but it really represents yeah. a community. Absolutely. So, uh, and, and there was a lot of kind of emotion there. So I'm sure it'll be a big deal for our kids, uh, th that, those high school kids walking in those buildings next week. Absolutely, man. All right. So let's hop into this whole big ed idea podcast. Um, Rod, you said you had listened to um, a couple of my episodes. So, you know, the first yes, thing, sir. first thing that I like to do, um, you know, because the whole name of the game for me is connections um, to me in this whole education world. Everything comes second to relationships and connections. And a big part of that is laying the foundation of getting to know each other. And so um, this first question um, is just what's going on at the Scott and the knocking house. And so, at the, <laughs> yeah. So at the Scott house, um, we love our weekends because uh, it's kind of through the week. It's full tilt. Um, I'm up and out the door by 4.30 a.m. every morning. I'm back back at the house cooking dinner by five o'clock every night. And you know what it's like. It's bath, bedtime, yes, bath, books, bedtime. And then you do it all again for five days straight. <laughs> and so um, this weekend we were supposed to be getting like this. Well, so here's how the meteorologists work. Tuesday, we had heard we were going to get two feet of snow. And so for two days, everybody's flipping out about snow. Everybody's rushing to the grocery store. And then lo and behold, <laughs> yeah, lo and behold, yesterday, we got nothing, no snow at all. Um, but having said that, this weekend, we had a birthday party for my nephew, Nolan, who just turned one. And then my oldest daughter, Madison, just went back to college. She's been home for about a month. So it's been really nice to have her at the house. Um, but now she's got to go back to her life. And so that's what's going on at the Scott house. What is going on at the knocking house? Well, uh, we're, uh, as, as we chatted about a little while ago, twin dad and, and the girls are about three. They turned three next November. So we're like with Bless one body trained and one, one not body trained right now. So we're kind of like in between. And uh, as we just kind of chatted about that storm, we've been living with my mother-in-law, which has been a blessing, but it's also kind of a roller coaster ride. So uh, there's a, uh, there's a, a, a dog we live with there as, as well named Oliver. So there's a lot of kind of uh, with the potty training and the dog and the mother-in-law, there's a lot of kind of chaos. Maybe I'll leave it there. Uh, but this Don't worry. Really mother-in-law is not going to be listening. <laughs> we love her, you know, uh, yeah. it, it, uh, in, in somebody's space, it, it's kind of, I mean, I'm sure I aggravate her as well. But uh, that's kind of where we are. And we're enjoying this three-day weekend because uh, the girl's grandfather's birthday was recently, I was last week. So we're celebrating that uh, that birthday this weekend with uh, our grand, uh, the girl's grandfather, and uh, really looking forward to the rest of the this or, or the beginning of this year. We have Mardi Gras coming up here in Louisiana, so that's yeah. coming soon. So uh, we missed out on that last year. So hopefully we'll be able to experience some of that this year. Um, so we're looking forward to that season. Excellent, excellent. So I got to tell you, really funny uh, Louisiana connection. So for a while, my wife and I, well, for about two years, my wife and I helped. Um, place foreign exchange students here in our town and we had a meeting one year down in new orleans and uh so my wife and i went to new orleans went to bourbon street and then lo and behold nine months later hazel our seven-year-old yeah our seven-year-old <laughs> was born and i'll tell you she has got uh the bourbon street um attitude she uh she's she's <laughs> she's lovey-dovey but uh, we call her our Hurricane Hazel. But uh, I, I like to say she was she was born because of Bourbon Street. Um, there you go. Well, uh, you just reminded me of a funny story. So I know um, I've, I've done a good bit of facilitation of professional learning. And, and one year we were doing some work for teachers across the state of Louisiana in New Orleans during the summer. And they came to the Royal Senesta on Bourbon Street in New Orleans. 
and we were doing this uh, ELA training for high school teachers. So I was leading this group, I don't know, 20, 30 teachers. And there's like the window that's got the curtains closed, but that's outside the window is Bourbon Street, you know? So it was kind of, uh, uh, kind of jarring. You're, you know, you're doing your professional work and then you walk out into the, uh, out of the hotel and you're like in it, you know, you're uh, in, in the middle of New Orleans immediately. So there's a lot of appeal to that, to, to bring folks into a learning session during the summer. Uh, as teachers, but uh, I mean, uh, that was I, I'll never forget. Like we're we're engaged in the work, you know, and outside the outside the window at two o'clock in the afternoon is bourbon. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's great, man. That's great. Okay, so uh, my next section, which are, or segment that we like to do, is the two for two. And so I have got two questions for you um, to know to find out who Rod is outside of the education world, and then, buddy, you're gonna roll it around and you're gonna ask me. So my first question for you. Um, we're going to start deep. What motivates you to work hard? To work hard. Hmm. Um, I, I, curiosity, I suppose, would be my first yeah, thing. So, that, um, and, and it's on my socials. I mean, I just love learning. One of the things that's cool about working with teaching and learning is there's like a uh, walking in with my purpose with a synergy with my personal and professional life. So uh, just the, the, the opportunity to learn something new about a person, about a historical moment about a, a, a place on this wonderful globe or outside in our uh, universe, just this curiosity really kind of drives my passion. So if, if that curiosity is peaked, then um, 150% works coming from me uh, because I, I'm, I'm just engaged in that process of inquiry, if that makes any kind of sense. So just the, the, the curiosity is really what drives me. No, I think that makes a thousand percent uh, sense to me. And uh, so much so that sometimes like I have to, I have to, I have to fight myself to read a fiction book because I'm always wanting <laughs> to read nonfiction and learn something. Um, but no, I totally get that. So my next question, I have, man, a, ti- I have a tip on that. If you okay. want to chat about that. Yeah, too. go, go. Like, What's so your tip? I, I was usually, I was usually a, 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 a nonfiction person for a long period of time um, because of kind of the, um, it's always feels like I'm, I'm adding something to the yeah, right. portfolio of knowledge. Right. Uh, but in the last couple of years, I've connected with some folks on the edu- edusphere. Uh, and they do a little canon chat where they read kind of a really kind of uh, momentous piece of fiction from history and kind of chat about it pretty much every month. So I've done that uh, pretty much since oh, the yeah. pandemic began. And it's reconnected me to fiction, which is awesome because I work with high school teachers who read a lot of literature. So it really kind of is driving my PL as well. So I can go into those classrooms and really connect with literature teachers. Uh, but it really has flipped the script for me as far as I used to be just nonfiction constantly. But that's a uh, plug canon chat. That's what they call it on on. on uh, on Twitter as a great way to get into uh, literature. Yeah. yeah, definitely, definitely. That's a great idea. And you said it's Canon Chat, like the yes, uh, yes, like sir. Owl Canon. Uh, yes. So we're reading actually James Baldwin right now. Going to chat about it. I think next Tuesday. So uh, right exciting on. time. Right on. Okay. So my next question: What are you really excited about? I push myself to do some reflective writing. Um, every month or every week, basically, starting with November of last year. And, uh, and this year, knowing that I was going to really have to dig into a dissertation writing process and trying to gear up kind of the, the processes and, and kind of uh, uh, habits with writing. So my word for this year is really kind of trying to get in on the writing. Um, and, and that's what I'm looking forward to, kind of things coming to fruition, because I've been doing a lot of research and kind of thinking for two or two plus years, especially within a dissertation sphere. So this year, kind of pulling it all together. It's a concrete kind of artifact to represent that. It's really something that I'm, I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can, again, I can relate to that. I'm in the, in the throes of writing my first book. And so I've uh, devoted yeah. 30 minutes every day, Monday through Friday to writing and, and I get it. It's, it's invigorating, but it's also scary as hell at the same time. <laughs> yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. All right, my friend, what questions do you happen to have for me? So you mentioned it, uh, a fellow bibliophile, right? So my yep. first question is, uh, what's your favorite children's book? Hmm. Like, is this As a, a father of four girls? What's like, that? Is this a picture book? No restrictions. Could be a picture book. Could have words. No words. Could be any kind of. What's coming to your mind? Favorite children's book? Okay, so my oldest, uh, Madison. For a while, it was just me and her. Um, in the very beginning, um, I was a single dad for a little while, and. Um, so it was just me and her. And when she was little, we read all, or actually I read all of the Chronicles of Narnia to her oh, probably, nice. probably before she was six. 
and uh, wow. she loved them. And to this day, she is a voracious reader. Um, and That's I, amazing. Yeah, and I, and you know, I think a lot of that has to do with, with that. But um, no, I'm a firm believer. My girls get a book every night. Um, but during the pandemic, um, we have started watching music videos. Primarily, nice. my my two middles, um, Amelia and Hazel. They are seven and four. They love Coldplay, and so we watch Coldplay videos because um, they have some incredible videos. So and what, then, what, like the guy walks backwards for the whole music video. Yes, or something? yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then my old my so it's it's strange when you have four now but the oldest middle hazel or uh sorry stella she's 10 she's gotten into this children's choir on youtube um with a bunch of kids that sing all these pop songs and so we watch that um selfishly i'm hoping one of my girls gets into music like i am but <laughs> whatever all right my friend what is your next question for me um, my next question kind of relates to things we've already talked about, but something that you're learning about right now, something that you're learning about. So I am right now. So my book is all about hope. Um, and it's, it's about how we can change the narrative from learned helplessness to learned hopelessness and what schools can do, what I'm calling the hope coefficient, um, we just know, especially, you know, I'm in Western Kentucky, we have a lot of uh, generational poverty. And it seems like kids that are the products of generational poverties, uh, generational poverty. Um, how do I say this? Sometimes we focus so much on the pedagogy yeah. that we forget that if a kid's not motivated, or if a kid doesn't believe that that they can um, excel and they can do well, then it won't happen. And so I'm, I'm, I'm researching about generational poverty, which is something I'm very interested in. I'm researching, um, about hope and what tools, um, what practices schools can do. Um, and then I'm researching about, um, right now psychology and the psychology that could be embedded into our classrooms. Um, I guess to, well, okay. So the income, <laughs> so the achievement gap between the high income and low income has not budged in 50, 60 years since the beginning right. of the, since the beginning of the NAEP assessments. And in fact, it's getting worse. Uh, low income kids are performing worse. Um, high income kids are doing great. And my, I guess my theory is that it's because we focus too much on the pedagogy and we're not trying to change the psychology of our learners. Gotcha. So I hope that makes that's, sense. That's interesting. See, I love that question because you usually touch on someone's passion when you ask what they're learning about and they have yeah. a lot to say about it. <laughs> well, listen, we could, we could go on and on and on, but it's about you tonight, Rod. That's all good. <laughs> okay, man. So uh, now that you know about me, now that I know uh, about you, let's dive in to this big Ed idea because that's I mean that's why you're here um so okay first thing I like to do is find out what is Rod's origin story how did education find Rod knocking hmm. so how did education find me right so I was not a person I mean you ask a lot of folks maybe not a lot but some who say they always knew they were going to be a teacher da, 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 da. they were in third grade fifth grade I just knew that I was going to be an educator that's not me um I was in, in, in uh, K-12 schools. Uh, I was kind of going in every direction. I don't know. I was kind of into mathematics for a while. I was kind of into computers. I came of age in the middle of the 90s. Yep. Um, kind of like uh, to dial it up and write some HTML. Yeah. Um, I was doing a bunch of different things, you know, and, and when I graduated from, from high school, I was kind of going down that co computer science kind of track, but I had an opportunity to do some IT work on the side in schools. So that was my first kind of connection to schools, if that makes any sense. But yeah, it wasn't absolutely. like a, it wasn't like a, a thought process of this is where I kind of want to end up. Um, I was kind of going in different directions. So I, I did some undergraduate work at the University of New Orleans and started some rock and roll bands. You might have uh, some some experience like that. So uh, uh, I spent kind of my twenties kind of doing a bunch of different things. You know, <laughs> I get uh, that. Yeah, like creative work. Wondering. Or, 
I had a, uh, a, a ambition to be, you know, like a, a world-class poet for a while, um, make, making a lot of noise in a garage with a rock and roll band, uh, playing some gigs for a hundred people here and there, um, doing odd jobs. Uh, but at, towards the end of my twenties, it, it was it, the, the, the music kind of thing wasn't necessarily taken off for us. And if you know anything about New Orleans, there's a, a little bit of competition in that field, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so so um, it wasn't necessarily paying off for us. So the closer I got to 30, um, I kind of revisited some of the connections I had with, uh, with schooling, with that IT work, and also just that passion for learning, because it never went away for me. Um, I was always kind of driving my own projects and saying, what's, what's my semester's work, even though I wasn't in an official school during my 20s. So uh, it just kind of seemed, seemed to make sense for me. So uh, I, I took advantage of an alternative certification program in the state of Louisiana. Uh, so I didn't get an education degree. I'd had a, a degree in communications. Uh, so I got alt certified through um, Nickel State University in Thibodeau, Louisiana, and uh, went into my first school. I think it was about a, 10 and a half years ago now in, in 2011 um, in New Orleans. I, I got uh, blessed with an opportunity to work with some, uh, some kids in um, over, over age, undercredited high school, charter school in New Orleans. Um, and that's how I ended up there. So it was kind of a synergy of this. I had worked a little bit in schools. Um, I loved learning. I kind of uh, journeyman kind of things, tried things out. Uh, and then it kind of uh, started to make sense that once I was in schools for a couple of years, I really started to realize that I was walking in my purpose. It took a little while. Um, but um, I think I heard you share in another podcast. Like I, even when I was beginning my teaching career, it was really about the, uh, the employment of it, to be completely honest, at the beginning yeah. of it. Uh, yeah. But well, once I uh, once I was in those buildings and the community and the kids and the colleagues and the connections uh, really kind of draws you in. And, and, and after a year or two, I knew that this is where I needed to be. I completely it sounds like it. And, and your story again, man, resonates with me. My 20s, uh, I affectionately call the wandering years. Um, <laughs> just wandered around from place to place. Wasn't really quite sure where I was headed. And uh, no, I'm a firm believer. God put me where I needed to be. It just took a little bit of while. Um, yep. And, and I I'll tell you what, another reflection that I've got, you know, you are alt cert. And there was a time where, um, you know, I didn't like the idea of an alt cert teacher because I'm like, yeah. you know, how dare them? They didn't go through the four. <laughs> they didn't go the four year route. Blah, blah. But the more I've been in this thing, man, uh, Rod, I I most of my alt cert people that I've seen, at least in the buildings I've been, are rock stars um, because a lot of them could have chosen a more lucrative yeah. career. Um, and and maybe it's because they don't look at it strictly through a pet. And this I don't even know if this is a word. They don't look look at education through the pedagogical lens. A lot of them are just really good at building relationships with kids. And so yeah. a, a lot of those alt cert people that I've I've met are rock star teachers. Yeah, I, I, I share that experience. I mean, I know there's amazing teachers with all kinds of different backgrounds coming from all kinds of different kind of educational, personal, and professional backgrounds. But uh, there's something about um, and uh, having done some things professionally for some years prior to getting into yeah. those schools that really change. I mean, I've had incredible teachers that knew they were going to be teachers since they were two and they went to school for teaching and they were in a yeah. school sure. uh, right away. So not to dismiss that there's amazing educators there. Uh, but there's just a, a different kind of thing that an alter, alter, alternatively certified teacher can bring to the table. Amen. Amen. I, and not to take us, well, like I told you, if we go off tangent, we go off tangent. But um, <laughs> at the high school level, we we just have, a, we at least where I'm at, rural Kentucky, we have a strong need for alt cert people that can come in and bring CTE programs to our high school. Yeah. Um, you know, we're we're looking at, Cause right now I have like four pathways, but um, I would love to see an IT pathway. I would love to see more of a, um, you know, like communications theater, that kind of stuff. And, and uh, it's going to take alt school, alt cert people um, a lot of the time to do that kind of stuff. And so, all right, man, Rod, I, I appreciate your origin story. So let's jump into this whole big idea that you have. And, um, you know, obviously it wouldn't be a solution if there wasn't a problem. Um, and so what is the problem in education that your idea relates to? So I appreciate it being framed that way. Right. So, uh, I, I, I actually might even, uh, refine that language to say like a dilemma, right? So what is yeah. the dilemma that I see before me in, in, uh, educational worlds is, uh, the way that I would kind of characterize it is a, uh, dichotomies or binaries or, uh, 
the uh, tendency, especially in the, the discourse around education, to kind of uh, split into two camps. Yeah. So um, the direct instruction or um, or inquiry-based camps, um, the, the scripted curricula or teacher autonomy type camps, uh, just these these different kind of uh, binaries that kind of uh, uh, become present in our education discourse. Um, some researchers have called it like dichotomous discourse. Uh, so what I find is uh, that can present a lot of challenges uh, when we're looking to do reform efforts or uh, refine what we do for teaching and learning in our schools, especially when we look at systems, structures, or, or kind of the bigger picture of, of ed reform. Um, those binaries really can can sacrifice some kind of uh, some kind of a compromise or co collaboration um, that can be uh, kind of found when we kind of stop seeing a black and white kind of picture and see more of a nuanced in between. So that's the the problem, the problem, as I see it, is, is we tend to separate into camps and that uh, uh, it forces a, a kind of invites us to dismiss the other side without kind of seeing the value of a different point of view and how that can refine what we do, inform us about because some of the pitfalls of our own approaches and uh, prevent us from kind of working in partnership to better serve kids. Yeah, no, that's listen, that's a that's a huge problem in education, but it's just a societal problem as well right now. Um, the polarization of literally everything. Um, yep. I mean, crazy enough, you know, we are polarized around this COVID. Um, but yes, I completely agree. Um, as an elementary teacher, I was a phonics guy and it was either <laughs> phonics or whole language. And yeah. you had to pick which side you were on because, buddy, you can't be in the can't be in the middle. Um, actually, my principal and I were talking about this the other day. Education does not do very well with gray areas. Um, yeah, we want it black and white. Um, you know, I don't, we talk a lot or, or I have the experience of like when, when we have to do, um, like lockdown drills, mm -hmm. teachers want black and white answers all the time. What do we do with this? What do we do with this? What do we do with this? And, and sometimes, um, it's just gray. Um, so I like <laughs> what you're saying. I like what you're saying a lot because I do agree. Um, there well, is, well, Go ahead. Here's an, here's an example for you, right? So um, the, the first year that I was ever in a school, um, one of the things we did for PL for the charter organization in New Orleans was this worksheet. I still remember it 12 years ago, 11 years ago, I think. Um, it was called The Details, right? And it had like a, a listing of scenarios on one side, and it was like what the response to the scenarios was on the other side. And we, and we did some deliberate work, and I'm, I'm not trying to dismiss that kind of like this prep of if this happens, what could be a potential kind of response. Uh, but one of the things we realized as a lot of kind of at the front end of our career uh, educators when we were all working together in that school is that uh, those, those sit, you could try to be prepared and um, it, it, it does you a lot to be prepared. But the, the, the connection of scenario to response is so nuanced in the moment. There's so many things that are happening, so many variables swirling around you, um, so many things you cannot foresee in the teaching and learning process that it was, uh, it was kind of silly to be thinking this happens, if this happens, this happens kind of thing. Uh, that wasn't our reality when we walked into school. So those gray areas are, are the are the stuff of our work, even though we, sometimes our kind of discourse around it um, kind of presents it differently, if that makes sense. Okay. So let me give you some examples and, and let me see if you if if what I'm thinking is is correct. So the the dichotomy of let's say uh, project-based learning versus direct instruction. There you go. Be, okay. The dichotomy of, like I said, phonics and whole language. Um, the dichotomy of restorative justice or punitive justice. That's in my notes before okay. this call. That's what okay. <laughs> um, the dichotomy of, let's see. Um, okay. So I guess individualized instruction versus group or work. Collective or whole group, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, okay. ones, that's a, one of the ones that's a bugbear for me. And uh, especially in the, the context of Louisiana education is uh High quality instructional instructional materials and teacher autonomy. If that oh, makes yeah. sense. I'm not sure yep. how that. Uh, I know it's a big deal in Tennessee, a little bit south of y'all. No, we we're having we're actually going through those growing pains at gotcha. our own high school because, um, you know, in elementary at the time, I really liked having a scripted curriculum because it was less that I had to prepare. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I mean, I'm not one of those guys that's going to do everything you tell me to do anyway. If I need, <laughs> if I need to tweak it a little bit, I'm going to tweak it because my door's closed. 
Um, so that gave me some autonomy. But I also see the other end where people want to develop their own curriculum. But what I don't want is my teachers just spending tons of time developing their own curriculum when there is some curriculum that they could use, you know. So, yep. all right, man, let's dive into this, because, look, I, I think our society as a whole needs to figure out how to work together. Um, so but maybe if our teachers can do it, then maybe the rest of society will, will follow along. So what ideas do you have to alleviate some of this uh, dichotomy thinking within education? So let me throw this out there. A lot of educators may have heard about accountable talk or uh, talk structure. So one of the things I really uh, have been looking at a lot in my research is the kind of uh, ways talk, speaking and listening are leveraged in education. Um, a lot of the research is kind of facing the classroom. So we'll, uh, a lot of uh, education research about, around discourse is with the learner and the teacher kind of in that context. But one of the things I'm fascinated about is the talk amongst the adults in our uh, yeah. In our institutions, so what's happening in our meetings, our collaborative teams, our, our clusters, our, all kind of different names for them, our PLCs, our leadership team meetings. Um, so really my area of interest is uh, the discourse amongst the, the, the leaders. Um, so uh, with that accountable talk, uh, you, you may have, uh, a lot of folks, schools kind of use that and uh, without necessarily recognizing kind of some of the research behind it. So um, two researchers I've really been clued into um, out of uh, the UK, uh, Karen Littleton and uh, Neil Mercer wrote a book uh, maybe about 10 years ago called Interthink. It's about um, the collaborative process or the, or the, the ability humans have to think together in, a, in collaboration. And they've identified um, three different types of talk. Now, they, they recognize that you could kind of identify plenty more than that, but they found it useful uh, as far as a framework to look at three different types of talk. One of them uh, they entitled Disputational which it's kind of self-explanatory. There's a lot of disputing, a lot of dissent, uh, and not necessarily kind of a common purpose amongst those collaborators. Another one they identify as cumulative, where there's a lot of assent or a lot of uh, consensus agreement, um, not necessarily uh, discord. And they also identify a third type of discourse called exploratory discourse, which is related to what folks might recognize as accountable talk, which has to do with uh, recognition of different points of view, um, inquiry, questions, uh, looking for justification of claims. Um, so they've identified those three types, um, disputational, cumulative, and exploratory. And what my kind of vision is, is to push even more this idea of how we can find uh, or generate spaces of exploratory talk or uh, spaces in between where all of us disagree and all of us agree. Because I think there's while it may be kind of like straightforward that uh, a disputational environment might not be good for collaboration, right, right. There's, also, there's also some challenges with a cumulative environment or an, uh, an environment where um, agreements are just kind of reached all the time and everybody's always in consensus. Yeah, so right. either of those polls can kind of be problematic for us. So what I'd like to do is, is support our leaders and teachers with finding ways to, keep, uh, to open up our discourse to some of that nuance in between. Uh, not, all, not everybody agreeing, not everybody disagreeing, but kind of an, uh, an airing in the marketplace of ideas uh, and in between, if that makes sense. Oh, I think it makes it makes 100 percent sense. Um, but in order for that to happen, you have to create a um, environment where people feel free to push back against others. Absolutely. You know, and there's a there's a few a few places or, or a few a few folks that I really find inspiring and in, in kind of practical ways to do that. There's a there's a, a woman out of uh, who's who's worked a good bit in uh, in in uh, the tech industry in the tech sector in California. Her name is Kim Scott, um, and she wrote a book a couple of years ago called Radical Candor. I actually heard about this from some instructional coaches, uh, and what her book is about is how to bring uh, feedback cultures into kind of organizational, it's kind of almost like an organizational psychology like you've talked right, about. Yeah. Um, so she kind of gives you some practical tips about how to invite folks into kind of a more, uh, to a more feedback oriented um, working environment. So one of the things she says is, if you wanna, if you want po folks to be open to feedback, then you need to open yourself up to feedback yeah, and right. be the example, right? Uh, which is, you know, not groundbreaking, but I really appreciate her, her book uh, radical candor in, in like the, the way it kind of frames like how you can show that you care about someone you're working with, but also show uh, that you care about the work 
critically and kind of like yeah. push them with some honesty yeah. to uh, uh, push one another to kind of be better and refine the work that we do. So that's one of the, the folks that I kind of follow with like, how, to, how do we open up that discourse um, so that we can find those gray areas and kind of push forward for the betterment of, of the education we provide to kids across our country, really? Yeah, no, um, I, I, I'm actually, I wrote that down. I'm going <laughs> to add it to my Amazon list. Um, I have recently been listening to a podcast by Brene Brown. Um, yes. And she talks a lot about that. Um, the way, the way that her organization is structured and the things that they kind of push to kind of, I guess, I guess what she's really saying is to push that exploratory talk. Um, and it makes sense, man. It makes a lot of sense. Um, cause you're right. We don't want the disputational cause that's essentially go. disputational. Cause that's essentially we're fighting all the time. Mm-hmm. Nothing never happens. And which I feel kind of like where our federal government's at. Um, then you have cumulative, cumulative talk where it's just like, Oh yeah, you know, you're right. Even though See, that's fact- it. that can be tricky, right? So it can seem like a really positive environment, but, but it's sometimes it, it's sometimes it can be a, an indicator or a marker of kind of a, a place that might be stuck in its kind of organizational inertia or kind of uh, uh, kind of tied to some traditions or systems and structures that may be outmoded, but folks might might not feel like there uh, is a space for them to voice that uh, to rock the boat kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think there's th- definitely their their own pitfalls and kind of a cumulative culture or kind of a entire consensus. You know, there was a podcast that was I like to. Uh, I'm a, I'm a soccer guy, right? Uh, used to hey, me soccer. too, me too. Uh, there you go. We got a lot of common, my friend. But, uh, do. The, I, there's one, uh, uh, a podcast. It's, it's one of the UK called Football Weekly. And uh, oh, okay. I remember an episode, I'll never forget this episode where they were kind of chatting about how, oh, okay, today we agree on every uh, on everything. We're going to have to find something that we disagree on because that, that's what makes our podcast a little bit more interesting. And, right. and that really kind of is an encapsulation of, of, uh, of kind of my outlook here that like we can, we can find, it's something about the human experience of recognizing a different, a different point of view as part of our reality um, and, and finding a way to kind of make that kind of connection across those two different people. You know, that there's gonna be, there's something uh, that's gonna be kind of a, a discord there that's, that makes it exciting, if that makes sense. Uh, so when we, that's, that's kind of what I push for is more of those nuanced kind of back and forth environments. Well, I think you, you're on to something. Um, I really look forward to this your dissertation, when you get it done, I want to look at it. I want to read it because yes, you're right, man. Like um, organizations, the ones I've seen are either disputational where everybody disagrees with the direction the school or the organization needs to go. And, and guess what? When everybody disagrees, it goes nowhere. <laughs> um, or everybody is, everybody's on board with where the, where the school needs to go but it might be going in the wrong direction mm-hmm. and nobody has the uh, cojones to <laughs> speak up during a meeting and say, Whoa, hold on. That's a horrible idea. Um, so I like this exploratory idea. I'd never heard about it before because it's, you're right. I, I feel like it's the sweet spot. Um, a friend of mine, Taylor Armstrong, he is a IT. He's now an IT guy down at Rend rend college in mississippi i think not too Um, far from me i guess huh yeah yeah so he says and he's we got hooked up during the pandemic on a facebook group but he says you can't spell success without a little suck um and (laughs) and that has really really stuck with me makes a lot of sense to me yeah because change is uncomfortable um just the entire by definition change isn't supposed to be easy Um, and it's definitely, hell, it's really not easy when you get people with various backgrounds, people with Mm -hmm. various political views, people with various views on children, behavior, you set them in a room and you're like, okay, here's the direction of our school. So, but I think, and I truly believe this, that for sustainable change to happen, you have to find a common ground. Um, and I'm gonna get on my soapbox here a little bit, but, um, no, I mean, you, I mean, you just look at politics in general right now. I mean, we just swing back and forth with whoever's in power and there's not really any sustainable momentum. That's like reactionary. Uh, 
yeah, it's just reactionary, but that's carried down into our systems. And one of which is our ed system. So I really like this idea of what you're saying. Um, all right. So what are some strategies that, okay. So tomorrow um, I go to my high school and, and I'm going to, I'm just going to say this um, the, the two folks that I work with, I'm an assistant principal. We have another assistant principal and then our principal, the three of us personally are completely different. Um, political views are different. Um, but when we sit down in a room and we talk, we're honest with each other. And so, you know, I think we have a pretty good environment going on, but for others out there that might be listening that, that are going to go into a building tomorrow or today, and there's maybe there's the disputational where just everybody can't get along and it's like almost a toxic environment, or maybe there's some people out there who, um, they're in a cumulative environment and they're the ones that wants to speak up and say, Hey, Hey, hold on. You know, this is not the way things. So what advice do you have for those people out there that, that want to work towards an exploratory environment? So one of the things that really opened it up for me is, um, and I think this comes from um, an organization that, that does science teaching, professional learning. Um, they've generated kind of a resource called some talk moves. Uh, and they're just kind of like, uh, if you, you may be familiar, if you, you kind of uh, facilitate conversations and teaching and learning with conversation stems or uh, yeah. this, this discussion norms, they're very similar to those. But what these are kind of teacher facing moves to kind of uh, solicit a little bit, they, they model the exploratory part of that discourse, if that makes sense. So a really simple one is, can you say more about that? Um, or, or kind of uh, one of the things we, we do, and I'm kind of a high, high school ELA uh, person. So uh, a, a lot of times we're having conversations about common texts that we've read together with kids or amongst our PLCs. Um, and we really wanna push through questions and probing to kind of get to some of the rationale or the, uh, the justification or understandings that are underneath. Uh, and if you've worked in any kind of high schools or I guess with any kind of kid, um, sometimes the, the first response is a little bit kind of, uh, uh, kind of, uh, truncated, if that makes sense. Yeah, and time. even a little, dis, a little, even a little discourse move, can you say more about that can, can push us in a new direction. Uh, so I would invite folks to look, uh, look for something called the teacher talk moves. Another one is, uh, the, the rephrasing what another has said and asking, Hey, did I, did I summarize that? Well, um, can, can we provide some evidence for that? Um, the, the say more one is really kind of the biggest one for me. And another tip I would give, and this comes from Kim Scott is, especially if you're working in a position that has some kind of positional authority with direct reports or uh, teams that kind of answer to you is, uh, finding kind of a go-to feedback solicit solicitation kind of question. The one she kind of uses is, uh, what's something I could do or stop doing, uh, that could help our work together. Uh, and she's really kind of upfront about it. if that doesn't sound like you, then find oh. one that, that serves the same yeah. purpose, you know, um, just the point is uh, finding a way to solicit feedback from the folks that you work with, because uh, that demonstrates so much vulnerability that you can kind of open up the discourse in that way, or, or you, you can show the way of what it's like to receive feedback. Now you need to follow through with that, right? So if folks are saying, um, giving you some feedback on how uh, you may be talking a little bit more uh, than others in the one-to-ones, or um, <laughs> you might be talking a little too fast, which is something that say, people say to me all the time. Um, it's really important to kind of voice that back at the next session. Like based on this feedback that uh, we're really listening to what we're saying here, uh, one of the things that y'all recommended that we do is kind of slow down a little bit. We're going to honor that feedback. Um, so those are kind of the two, two tips I would use. Find those teacher talk moves and try to use them with adults. It really can work. And uh, the, the second one is, is really trying to open up that feedback channel for the work that you do so that you can lead the way by example uh, to generate that feedback culture. Excellent, excellent tip. I love it, love it, love it when we can, when, when I can have a conversation with someone and they can give us some uh, tangible things that as soon as, as soon as the person that's listening out there hits, you know, stop, they have something that they can put in their teacher toolbox and, and they can walk into their classroom, walk into their school, wherever they're at and put it to you. So I appreciate that. Now, uh, I even say this, like if folks have maybe have tried and I know a lot of meetings end with like, Hey, glows and grows or things that went well and things that didn't provide that feedback. And sometimes you hear crickets, right? So yeah. I mean, you, you might even want to be like a little bit more uh, intentional with uh, so 
well, I'm going to need you to provide some feedback right now. Maybe we can phrase it a little bit more, more uh, welcoming than that, right? So before <laughs> before we before we uh, leave our meeting today, we're going to provide some feedback so that the next time we convene, uh, we can get even better about what we're doing. So uh, kind of finding a way to really kind of push for that feedback because sometimes folks are, are, are uh, a little reluctant to provide it because of the, I guess, organizational politics. Uh, of buildings can kind of close off discourse, if that makes sense. Yeah. And an, another one that I, I, I just throwing tips out there uh, from Kim Scott is if you're running like kind of leadership style meetings, one thing to think about is whether or not the purpose of your time together is brainstorming or decision making. And sometimes it can be helpful to separate those. Yeah. And, and because, state it. Yeah. And, and be clear about it. So like yeah. if, if the purpose is to make a decision, that's going to cause the character of your meeting to be a little bit different. So Absolutely. if you can separate those, if you know that we're brainstorming and we're not coming to a decision today, that may invite folk, more folks into the conversation knowing that there's less of kind of that pressure. Oh, um, so that's, so that's uh, another one I got from Kim Scott um, that I think can be really helpful to kind of separate. I mean, even in the literature. So I mentioned Littleton and Mercer earlier when they, uh, when they look at exploratory talk, one of the things that they find is that if there's a, the, the push to seek a consensus, that you find more exploratory talk. That's the different from finding a consensus. The seeking of the consensus is, is the marker of more exploration. So if our team is trying to find a consensus, even if we don't find it, that may be an indication that we're doing a little bit more kind of ex exploration of each other's points of view. So we can, in other words, we can separate the coming to consensus from the seeking of it. Does that make any kind of sense? Uh, yeah, it absolutely does. Because if you're, if you're seeking it, you're moving towards it. Yep. Awesome. So in, in, in our buildings, if we, if we kind of are aware of that from a leadership point of view, I think we can help our team's cultures kind of be a little bit more exploratory. And I love that. Yeah, this is, this is a powerful, powerful conversation. I'll tell you, I'm going to have to check out Kim Scott. Uh, partly because, you know, we share last names, so she's got to be pretty good. <laughs> um, but, but I've also, um, I've also got into this kick of, of looking for people outside of education that yeah. sometimes their ideas you can bring into education. It seems to, um, you know, like, um, Brene Brown is, you know, one of the best ones, you know, she isn't necessarily in education. She does mostly, um, fortune 500 companies and stuff. Um, one of the, one of the phrases that she taught me that I've started using is what does support from me look like for you? Um, and I try to say that to all of my, cause I have about 11 teachers that are on, on my caseload and I try to let them know. And I try to say that. Um, and so, yeah, it, it makes sense. It makes total sense. Um, all right. So Rod, as we start to wind this down, I want to make sure that the folks out there that have learned a ton about exploratory talk this evening, um, I'm sure they're, wanna, they're gonna wanna get out and they're gonna wanna uh, talk to you and figure out some more things and, and just, just reach out to you. So how can my friends that are listening to the Big Ed Idea Podcast get a hold of Mr. Rod Knocken? So the best way is through Twitter, like we connected, Mr. Ryan Scott. So my Twitter handle is Rod J Nakan. That's N-A-Q-U-I-N. I'm sure you'll find it on the podcast. Uh, so the best place to get in touch with me is probably through Twitter. Um, and, and there you'll see kind of, uh, I like to think about my Twitter as my desk, really. It's the things, yeah. that I'm, uh, things that I'm thinking about, things that I'm reading, things that I'm learning, things that I'm listening to. Um, so you'll find me there kind of engaged in a lot of discourse. Uh, a lot of reading, a lot of book sharing, like you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation. Um, so that's where I would primarily go. I also have written a few things on a uh, chalkboard review about kind of um, high quality instructional materials and the partnerships teachers make with them um, and kind of the, the details of high school ELA teaching. Uh, so that's two different ways you can really get in touch with me, uh, but really Twitter is the best way to do it. And I'm, I'm, I'm usually on there kind of engaged in a conversation in the discourse, uh, either about some books or about some ed reform or how we use instructional materials or things that we're learning. For, for me, uh, really, if we can shift our educator discourse around learning, like what are we learning about? Um, and, and, and that can drive that process for the communities that we lead, the kids that we want to inspire to be curious, you know? Absolutely, because it's all about curiosity, man. <laughs> what, good, what good are we filling up our brains of our kids with just a bunch of knowledge if they're not curious when they leave us? That's it. I love all it. Right. All right. And so um, my Big Ed Idea podcast listeners, um, if you have been listening 
and you have come up with your own big ed idea, please do not hesitate to reach out to me. Um, I am always looking to spread the voices of those people that are just crazy enough to change the world. Um, Because believe it or not, the only way the world changes is through crazy ideas. And so please reach out to me um, on Twitter at Ryan C. Scott 1981. You can find me there. You can find me on Facebook. Um, You can find me on Instagram at Ryan Scott 1981. Um, If you want, you can email me, ryanscott1981 at gmail.com. But we have got to keep spreading the ideas because one of these ideas is going to change the world of education. And so with that, Rod, thank you very, very much for coming on this evening. Um, I appreciate it, man. It's uh, nice to know somebody um down south and and you know and and to know somebody shares a lot of the same beliefs that i do it makes you feel a lot less crazy i I appreciate the space ryan and i appreciate the conversation you know like for me it's all about that dialogue right that the the multiple voices trying to find uh bridge that gap between uh one person and another so i appreciate your time and your efforts my friend absolutely friend All right. So my big Ed idea listeners, as I love to do, I'm going to leave you with the words of the immortal John Janoski, who um, would have celebrated his 83rd birthday last week. Um, He always left me with this saying, he say, Ryan, I'll see you in the funny paper. For hanging out with me here on the Big Ed Idea Podcast. My hope is that this would be a conversation, a meeting of the minds and a space for one person's vision to inspire the passions of another. However, none of this can happen without you. So let's be change agents together and build a better future. Please subscribe or reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Come to the conversation with your passion. And together, let's build something awesome. Until next time, I'll see you in the funny paper.